I'm going to ask that you'll open your Bibles to Numbers chapter 20. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. So you're not that far in. And we are in a, a new series which will be in the book of Numbers called Towards the Promise. And last year, this time last year, uh, we preached through the beginning of Numbers. And the reason I mention that is you could go listen to it on podcast. And I only say that because Numbers is one of those books that uh, it's easy not to have a good grasp of. And if you, as you walk out of this morning or this series going, I, I just wish I had a better background uh, the church has walked through actually Genesis all the way up to this point. So we've been each year nibbling away from Genesis 1 and now we're in Numbers 20. And the first installment of Numbers is, is, is there for us last year. This morning is really only an introduction to the series. Um, and I want to offer you a couple of themes that I think will sort of rise up as we, we spend several weeks together, and I thought I'd start with this example as a, maybe a picture of the setting. I think most of us have seen either on TV or the theater, or, or you're familiar with what I'm about to describe, which is imagine a prisoner, someone who's been convicted into prison and has served hard time. He's been there for five or ten years. He's done his time. And the day has come for him to meet parole. And he meets parole and is released. And I think you can imagine in your mind, some, for some reason I can, it's just from things I've seen, the picture of him going by the gated window where they give him his personal effects from ten years ago in a brown bag. And he grabs that and he has his old jeans and his old plaid shirt, and they escort him to the front gate. They open the gate, and he's allowed to go outside, and then the gate closes, and he's free. Do you have that picture? That's always been a complicated image for me. It's a bittersweet image, because on one hand, he's free, and on another hand, he's alone in the world. So in one end, he's been set free of something, and in another way, he's been put out. You know, maybe there's a taxi in your mind, a taxi waiting for him, but in my mind, when I've seen that, whether it's on, I don't know, I, for some reason, I'm thinking of the A-team. I don't, sorry. Whenever I have seen this image, the taxi is as lonely as the image. Where, where's this guy alone who's going to get in a taxi all alone and go somewhere to be alone? I, it doesn't solve the story for me. It's, it's hopeful and it's hard at the same moment. There's just a way in life that we can make mistakes or choices or things can happen to us and we find ourselves in a period of time that's just not our own, right? Not free from the dictates of those circumstances or or the past. And then there's a day when we can begin to move on from these things. 
But it doesn't mean that everything gets easy. And that, that is a strong theme that we find in the book of Numbers here. Numbers chapter 20 is very much like the gate of a prison. And Numbers 1 through or 14 through 19 is sort of 40 years of hard time. And Numbers chapter 20 verse 1, Israel finds themselves on the other side of the gate heading towards the promises of God. But it's not as clean as we'd like it. It's a complicated feeling that you're going to be invited into as we study, study Numbers. I'd like to... Uh, I mentioned today's going to be a little more teachy as we sort of give the theme and give some background. And we're going to need maps. So I'm going to give you some maps. All right? Let me see here. I have a good helper in the back. All right, let's try this out. Okay. We'll be using this over the, the course of our time. I just want to make sure that you have a sense of the story. How did we, how did we even get to Numbers 20? So... And I'm going to show something off to you because I'm excited. All right, right here is like where Israel was in Egypt, Exodus. Don't you like that? Yeah. I'm just, I'm just teasing. So Israel is in Egypt. They are enslaved in Egypt for about four centuries. They've been in Egypt. Uh, the book of Exodus chronologues the account of God calling Moses to bring God's people out of Egypt. And that's Exodus roughly 1 through 14 that that takes place. On the day that Pharaoh says, leave Egypt, this is the day after the, the Passover when the angel of death went throughout all of Egypt and took the lives of the firstborn sons, except for those who were safe because of the blood of the Lamb. Okay, on that day, the Lord told the Hebrews, that day is to be called the first day of the first month of the first year. Hebrew dating, in a very special way, begins then. And they left. And I'm going to draw an arrow that crosses the Red Sea where it is. Okay, so my squiggly lines, not necessarily scholarship, okay? But I am following some common perceptions, okay? But they come on down, and let's say they cross right here. And then they journey down, it seems, this way to Mount Sinai. Takes them like 50 days to get there. The dating of Pentecost is in some ways derived from this duration. They get to Mount Sinai, and this is Exodus 19, 20, all the way to the actually the end of the book of Exodus. While they're at the mountain of Sinai, they enter into a covenant with God. They become his people, and he becomes their God, a possession for one another. And in exchange for having Yahweh as their God, they enter into a commitment to be like Yahweh, to be holy. And that's described probably most poignantly by the Ten Commandments. Those tablets 
represent the law or the nature of God. But there were many other ordinances and, and directives from God, and they end up spending quite a while there. They spend one year, essentially, at the mountain. Because God is now their God, he's going to travel with them. So during that time, they build what they call a tabernacle, which is like a mobile, te- a mobile temple, a tent temple. And they build that there. And before they leave the mountain for the promise of God, and the promise of God, by the way, was that he would bring them into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, which is like that land right there. That's what you would call Israel. And his promise to do that, he was going to go with them. And so a year later, they leave the mountain. And in fact, they leave right after... Uh, they leave in the first month of the second year. They celebrate Passover and they leave. And they travel. And I don't know exactly their route, so forgive me. Uh, But they meander on up and they end up at a town called Kadesh. And in this town of Kadesh, Moses chooses to send... You got, you, we're tracking with the story here? Okay, Moses chooses to send 12 spies into the land. So they enter the land from the south and they spy it out. And they're in there for 40 days before they return. And when they return, they say, what God said about the land is true. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good and spacious land. They even bring back evidence of, of the fact. Look at the, the fruit of this land. It's, but they also go on to say, but there's things that God did not mention that are also true. Like giants and fortresses and strongholds, and we have no hope of ever taking it. This is what the people of God who walked across the Red Sea on dry ground say. There's no hope for us. Two of the 12 spies, Caleb and Joshua, they are men of faith and they cry out to the people, don't listen to this. This is, this is really harmful for you. But the doubters, the 10 doubters, their spirit was contagious. And all of Israel caught this attitude and began to cry out, weep and gnash their teeth against the Lord and against Moses. And in fact, They picked up stones, I believe, to stone Moses and claimed, we're going back to Egypt. We're going to voluntarily offer ourselves back as slaves because of the hardship that Yahweh has submitted us to. That was in Kadesh. Well, God heard the cries of the people and his answer was, I'm going to destroy the people and start over with Moses. But Moses is like, a, is like a Christ, okay? Jesus is a better Moses, but Moses plays this role. And so Moses re- mediates for mankind, for the people, and says to the Lord, Lord, give us mercy and grace so that your name might be made great and show us forgiveness. And so the Lord hears Moses and shows forgiveness to the people and says, okay, I will not strike you down, nor will I leave you as a people. 
I will be your God, but I will not take this rebellious generation into the land. Anyone who's a fighting agent older will die before I bring you into the land. In other words, I'll try again with the next generation. Forty years from now, we'll give this another try. That's Numbers chapter 14, 15. It's a sad, sad story. In fact, I got to do it in red because it's sad. But they leave. And Numbers 17, 18, 19-ish describe 40 years of wandering. Actually, they hardly describe it. You get about two stories. It's unremarkable. <laughs> it's, not, it's as though God doesn't want to waste his time telling us about lives not living his will. So he gives us about a page and a half in the Bible of 40 years because he wants to tell us about people who are walking towards his will. And so they wander, and this, they don't wander in the loop. I don't know their path of wandering necessarily. It doesn't even matter. The interesting thing about Sinai is, you know, Sinai is that, that triangular peninsula that is broken up by the Red Sea is even to this day, it's largely uninhabitable. So they're wandering in a territory that's not really claimed by any large people group. There's no kingdom that claims Sinai. There's Bedouins, these sorts of things. But it's a brutal desert. It's unsustainable for a large people. In fact, it's unsustainable for the Hebrews. God has to artificially feed them with manna while they're in there. So they're sort of in a no man's land, almost literally. In fact, if you ever look at your maps, it'll call it the wilderness of sin, which doesn't mean sin in like English. It's just the name, or the wilderness of sin. Wilderness is desert. It's wild land. It's sparse. It's where cities are not. And that's where they are for 40 years. And then, on one day, they find themselves back in Kadesh. And that's today. If you look at Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, here's what we read. And the people of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Now here it says the first month, but if if you're careful with your read of the word, you know that <clears throat> there's more going on here. This happens to be the first month of the 41st year. In other words, this is the first day that they're free from that curse. They're on the other side of the fence. We know that because there's a few reasons. One is in Exodus chapter 7, it says that Aaron was 83 years old when Moses and Aaron confronted Pharaoh. That's Exodus 7.7. 7. We also know from later on in, in uh, Numbers, Numbers chapter 33, that when Aaron dies, and he dies in this chapter, by the way, he dies at the end of this chapter, Aaron is 123 years old. 83 to 123 is how many years? 40. He dies in the fifth month of this year at 123. They're walking out of the door of prison on this day. 
Now, some interesting thing happened. So I'll turn the map off so we're not distracted. We're going to keep using the map the whole series because it's a very mappish book. Uh, but on this day, they, they are arriving. Just imagine if you were, let's say you were a 15-year-old. The first time, 40 years ago, you were 15 in Kadesh when the curse from the Lord comes down that we're going to wander until your parents have died. And for the next 40 years, you slave and work and labor in the prison of the wilderness of God. And 40 years goes by and now you're 55 years old and you're back in the very same place knowing in your mind how you can count to 40. Have you ever seen the movies of prison cells? Do you ever see what's on the wall? They count. You count hard time. The writer of numbers knows you've counted. And you're back at the same place you rebelled from God the first time. Chapter 20 is a pretty important chapter in order to set the mood. And I, I wanna, I'll read you uh, a little bit more of verse one and then I'll summarize. I just want you to see uh, the stage that's set. Look at the last phrase of verse one. It says, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Miriam is Moses's sister and she's a very prominent character. She served the role of prophetess uh, among the people. So she served a sort of a leading role among Israel. And in the story of the Exodus, there really are not that many people who have names. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Everyone else, by the way, pretty much got burned up. You don't want to have a name <laughs> in, in Exodus. The, so Moses and Aaron and Miriam are about the only three left whose names we recognize. I mean, Joshua and Caleb have, have a future in front of them. But those three, chapter 20 wants you to know, we're back at Kadesh 40 years after leaving Egypt. And back in the first month, Miriam dies. If you look at the end of the chapter, verse 22, we know that Aaron dies. And in the middle of the chapter, right smack dab in the middle, Moses lashes out in anger in a way that's disappointing the Lord, and he gets punished. He himself is barred from entering into the promised land. So in the 20th chapter, all of the key figures we get closure on. We're in this momentous moment where we're at Kadesh, we're free. You know, every step, every step in this book from this point on has a positive direction towards the promise of God. Up until this point, it's wandering. It's who knows and who cares. But now, after 40 years, every step that they take is a step closer to the will of God and his promise for us. And one of the ways the chapter shows this is by the passing of the old generation. Miriam's dead, Aaron's dead, and Moses is taken care of. I think of it like, uh, like Easter. Um, as a parent, when you're doing Easter with little, little ones, you'll set out eggs. You'll do like a room. And if you have like a nine-year-old and a two-year-old, you can't do an Easter egg hunt in the same space. You may have learned that because... A nine-year-old can actually search the room. And for a two-year-old, you have to put an egg like in the middle of the room on the carpet. 
And so, you, you know, when you're doing an Easter egg hunt with a two-year-old or a one-year-old, right, and they're carrying the ba- a basket that's half their size through the room, they'll pick up the one on the carpet. But, there's, but you're sitting on the couch, and there's about six or seven other eggs that you can see that they can't even see. But they're in plain light, daylight, but they can't see them. And they just wander, right? They wander through the room aimlessly until you can't stand it anymore. And then as a parent, you say this, warmer. Right? And they look at you and they get that grin, like, oh, we're playing a game because kids love games, right? Warmer. And they'll, colder. Warmer. And they know from that point on, every step they're taking, right? Every step is closer to the prize. That's, this is Numbers chapter 20. Up to this point, you're wandering. Now, you have a vector and it's towards God and it's towards his promise for you. This theme, there's several ways you could overlay this theme that's going to play out. I mean, our whole time in Numbers is going to be inside of this idea. But one way you could see this for just our lives, particularly our lives as Christians, is before Christ on this earth, the Bible is very comfortable talking about you as the old man or the old person or the old self, the old version of you, the first generation of you that's a wanderer. You are a wanderer. So you don't, you're directionless because you are your sole goal. And sort of this life is lived without God and without Christ. This life is lived without any real meaningful, purposeful direction. But it says, but if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Or he'll say he's born again, right? There's a new us. That a new generation, you might even say, that comes forward, that lives and walks with a purposeful direction towards God. That this scripture carries the weight of that story. You can return to it and you can think about who you formerly were. That's New Testament language. Your former self. Versus now that you are a child of God. You, you were not made to wander. You were made with, with his promise in sight. Someone once said, this is not your home. You could even make it a little more personal, I think, just some of the themes of this. Of There's ways in our own lives that we make choices or things just happen to us, right? I mean, whether it's health or decisions or sins or mistakes, there's times, and I think in many of our lives, where we find ourselves on our own penalty lap or our own sort of, how did I get here? Uh, you know, you thought you had direction and then the marriage ends and you're like, what? And it, what does it take? Five years, six years, sometimes 20 years for someone to gain a sense of now I'm back in the footsteps of God. God did not raise us up to be directionless. He raised us to walk towards the promise. But there's something else I want you to see here. This may be the most important. Inside of this theme in Numbers is, is this all-important idea. And we'll capture it with two readings here in the 20th chapter. So take note, chapter 20, there's the hope of, we're in the first month of the new year, the year of the promise. And how does the chapter open? Miriam dies, Moses gets punished, Aaron dies.
Okay, so feel that. That's how this chapter leads us to hear that. And then, allow me just to read the two, verse 2 through 5. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? It is no place for grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, and there's no water to drink. Now, every time I come to this, the first feeling I have when I process this is, do they realize where and when they're saying this? It's one thing for a kid to whine and complain, like in the car on the way to Hershey Park. But to do it in the parking lot of Hershey Park as you're about to get out is the wrong time to say, I wish we didn't come. Right? Because that's when dad just wants to hit the lock button and put it in reverse. But they're there. I mean, they're, they're in this momentous day. And we know they can count. They're, they've counted for us. They're accounting for their counting. We know they have a memory. We, we know all these things. How could they get to this point and be so thoughtless? And in my mind, I have up to this point explained it with, what are, they, are they forgetful people? Are they mindless people? But they're not less than you or me. And the truth is, I think the truth is probably close to, it's not that they haven't been thinking about it. It's that it's all they have been thinking about. You know, I bet, I bet you at the end of 40 years, they thought they'd be in the promised land. And here they are in lame old Kadesh with no water. In the wilderness. I bet you in their mind, they have been so intentional about counting that the notion of we are not there yet. 40 years, you said 40 years, but 40 years has gone by and where are they? They're back to where they rebelled. They're not back in the promised land. The rest of this book is all of the work that's gonna have to happen for them to get into the promised land. They're back to where they made the mistake. I think of it this way, when a, a child asks a parent for something, the parent says no, and you end up in that, that just war of attrition of how come, no, how come, no. Right? And eventually, when a child can't take no for an answer, you, know, you just go to your room or go away. You need to separate, right? And you punish them. And they endure their punishment and they come back after their punishment and they say, so can I have it now? And as a parent, as the child, you think, I've done my dues, so now can I have it? As a parent, you think, you didn't learn a thing. I think that's probably more to the issue is 40 years have gone by and it's still hard. I thought you had a good promise for us. Why is it still hard? Really hard. Here's the other thing the 20th chapter gives us. Verse 14. Now, a tiny bit of background. As I, I'll close with this. A tiny bit of background. Moses is going to refer to Edom, another people, as his brother. And the reason for that is Israel comes, all comes from one man, and his name is Jacob. And Jacob had a brother, and his brother's name was 
Esau. And Esau ended up becoming a great people, and that, that name of that people is Edom. So in a an great ancestral way, the brother of Israel is Edom. Or there's a kinship here that matters as I read. Look at verse 14. Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the kingdom, king of Edom. Thus says your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that we've met, how our fathers went down to Egypt and we lived in Egypt a long time and the Egyptians dealt harshly with us and our fathers. And when we cried to the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us up out of Egypt. And here we are in Kadesh, a city on the edge of your territory. Please let us pass through your land. We will not pass through field or vineyard or drink water from a well. We won't go along the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed through your territory. But Edom said to him, You shall not pass, lest I come out with the sword against you. And the people of Israel said to him, We will go up by the highway. And if we drink of your water, I and my livestock, then I will pay for it. Let me only pass through on foot, nothing more. But he said, You shall not pass through. And Edom came out against them with a large army and a strong force. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. Every step they're taking from this point on is a step towards the promise of God, and yet it is not a bit easier than it was yesterday. It's just as hard. It may even be harder because of the expectations we had around it. And that's, that's the theme of where we're going to be. Is, is There's this hope, this subtle hope of when we grow in the Lord or have a breakthrough with God or become a Christian or whatever it is, that on the other side of that, we know on the other side of that as a promise, but we hope on the other side of it is ease or something that's unlocked for us that makes what was formerly difficult easy. And the truth about the Christian life is it will never get easy until we are at home. It will never get easy. But we will be walking towards it. And how we walk along the way is what matters. Let me pray. Lord, we pray a blessing over everything that took place this this morning, Lord. Sean's ordination, Jason's ordination, the worship through song and study of your word. I pray for every person here, Lord, and all the children in the hallway, those who serve to make Sunday possible, Lord. Lord, we pray that we might have a right mind about this world, that faithfulness to you does not equal ease. It equals faithfulness. And that is a treasure all to itself. We pray to you, God of promise, in the name of Jesus, amen.